We live in a world that is full of persecution. We've seen it recently, haven't we, again in the news in Syria with those Christians up in the north in Syria being persecuted, fearing for their lives. We see it with those girls that were taken in Nigeria and are still held in captivity. We see it all around us. You know, Reuters reported on the 8th of January this year that last year in 2013 they reckoned that over 2,000 Christian believers were martyred for their faith. Those are the confirmed cases that the media have reported on in various countries of the world. They reckon the estimated total of actual people, actual Christian believers, may well be over 8,000. They reckon in their report that Christians faced hostility in 111 different countries of the world, the worst being North Korea, where between 50 and 70,000 Christian believers are living in political prisons under the most extreme pressure. It's estimated that 100 million Christians in our world suffer persecution for their faith last year. I don't know if you remember if you were here in 2010 when Baroness Cox came and talked to us. And she uh, has written a book called Modern Saints and Martyrs. It's one of those books that inspire you in your faith but also don't even know the words to use. But it's a book that she, where she has actually uh, been around the world as part of her ministry, part of her work and has spoken to political prisoners, to believers who are in prison and heard and verified their stories. Let me just read you an excerpt from Soon Oak Lee who was put in prison in North Korea. She wasn't a, uh, a Christian prisoner, she became a believer in prison because she said she said, I wasn't sent as a prisoner to the labour camp because I was a Christian, but for some quite different offence. But while she was suffering the horrors inflicted on all the prisoners, she became interested in Christianity because she could not understand how Christians could be the happiest prisoners in the labour camp. Although they were given the worst jobs and worked in the most dangerous areas, Christians would sometimes volunteer to take punishment for offences of others, and would sing to God when they were being beaten. It was the consistent witness of these Christians that led Soon Ok Lee to become a Christian. She wrote this about Kechon prison. She said the prisoners were forced to work 16 to 18 hours daily without a moment of rest. They were only allowed to use the toilet three times a day at fixed times. A hundred grams of poor quality corn or meal per meal were the standard meal, and often this was further reduced to 80 or 30 grams per meal for any poor job performance or if a prisoner failed to meet the daily labour quota. As a result of these small and inadequate meals, long and hard work and a lack of exposure to the sun, all the prisoners suffered from malnutrition and all kinds of diseases. We were allowed to sleep for only three to four hours daily. Our cells were six metres by five metres 
and contained 80 to 90 prisoners per cell. The cells were so crowded that prisoners slept with their feet of the next prisoner right under their noses. There was only one window in each cell and it was like being in a steam bath in the summer days. In the winter the cell was not heated so it was very cold with icy winds coming through the cracks of the floor and the window. The prisoners were not allowed to talk to one another or to sing and were ordered by the guards to answer their questions only. The punishment is very severe for violation any prison rules. The punishment cell is the most dreaded by prisoners. It is a 0.6 by 0.7 meters and one meter high, literally a pigeonhole. Prisoners are stripped to the skin in the punishment cell. This is why they called it the killing chamber. Pregnant women were unconditionally forced to abort because the unborn baby was also considered a criminal by law. Women in their eighth or ninth month of pregnancy had salt solutions injected into their wombs to induce abortion. In spite of these brutal efforts, some babies were born alive, in which case the prison guards mercilessly killed the infants by squeezing their necks in front of their mothers. The dead babies were taken away for biological tests. And then she carries on. Some women prisoners were so hungry that they ate dirt and many died from this. In the labour factories when there was a power outage, the women prisoners were forced to manually pull the motor belts of their sewing machines because the daily quota had to be met no matter what. Prisoners had to cleanse their crimes by working hard. The goal of the prisons is to work the prisoners slowly to their death through extremely hard work and inhumane prison conditions. It's part of a report that she gave when she escaped into South Korea to the US House of Representatives. That was just a few years ago. We have persecution in our world. And Jesus said in our reading today, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and as we look into your word again today, Lord, speak to us. Speak to us from your words. Speak to us through your spirit. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. It doesn't make sense, does it? We've been looking together at the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. The first, it's in two groups of four, and we come to the last of the Beatitudes today. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. We can understand the others. Blessed. God is going to pour his blessing into those, he says, first of all, who are poor in spirit. Those who recognize their need for him. We can understand that. We can understand how God's going to pour his blessing into those who mourn. In other words, those who mourn their sin, who recognize that they need Christ, they need his forgiveness. God will pour his blessing into them. Blessed are the meek. Meek God's power under his control. 
within us, working in us. And when we recognise the power of what Christ has done on the cross, we have that access to that same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead. He's working and alive through the Spirit inside each of us. We can understand how we're blessed there. Then he carries on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That if we have that same passion for the things of God that Jesus had, then we can understand how God would bless us, how his, his blessing, his presence would be upon us. And then Jesus turns outwards, not just to our inner selves with the first four, but then he looks out at how it will show itself through us. Blessed are those who are merciful, that we show mercy to others, that we have a purity of heart towards others, that we become peacemakers as we looked at last week. But then how can Jesus honestly say, blessed are those who are persecuted? Do you like being persecuted? Do you like it when somebody is causing you grief? No. You don't in those moments say, oh thank you Lord that this person is causing me so much trouble and hardship. This is wonderful, thank you. I love it. It's, it's fantastic. How could Soon or Glee, in those horrible, horrible conditions, say, Lord, thank you, I feel blessed to be living in this kind of state, under persecution. It's wonderful. How can you say that? It doesn't make any sense, does it? What was Jesus trying to get at when he said, blessed are those who are persecuted? Well, first of all, we need to realise that if we're a believer, we're going to be persecuted. The good news always has enemies. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Now, for us, it won't be the same extreme as I've just read to you, the account of in North Korea. But still, if we live a godly life, we're going to be persecuted because history tells us, the Bible tells us, God tells us that you can't serve two masters. Either you love one and hate the other. And if you follow Christ, there will be those that do not want you to do the things that you're doing, to be the person that you are. Good news has always had enemies. We see that at Christmas. Here are those strange wise men from the east and they come and they say, we're just going to go and worship this little guy, this little baby that's been born. And what happens? Herod doesn't like it much. And what does he do? He slaughters thousands of kids as a result of just, well, traditionally three wise men that are not that wise who come from the east and just say, we want to go and have a little worship service and then we're just going to go home again. And it costs the lives of all those children. Every page of scripture that you read, where people are doing the things of God, you'll find opposition. Blessed are those who persecute you. Now notice that the blessing here in verse 10, if you've got your Bibles, turn to it in Matthew 5, 10. The blessing is because of righteousness. 
Sometimes we become persecuted, sometimes we cause trouble because of a whole raft of other reasons. Sometimes it's because we are obnoxious and we are too proud and we want to just stick our fist in the ground and say, this is my right, this is, this is... And then we wonder why there's opposition against us. Well, this is, I'm going to... And you stand there and then you wonder why other people don't always agree with you. Jesus doesn't say that. That if you're a believer, you're going to be persecuted. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now, righteousness is a right relationship with God. In other words, he's saying, you will receive the blessing of God when you are persecuted because you are doing God's things. Because you are working out what God wants you to work out in your life. When you follow him, there will be opposition. But you will only receive the blessing from God, the strength of God, the presence of God in your life, when it is when you're walking with him. When you're in his way, in his pathway. Not when we veer off on our own and then start complaining when we go down our own little rabbit trails and say, Lord, why haven't I got your blessing? I'm being persecuted now. I've got opposition now. I don't like what's happening. Not everybody's happy with me. It's only we receive from God when we're in that right relationship, walking as he wants us to walk. Good news always has enemies. And if we walk in the way that God wants us to walk, there will be others that will always look at us and try and attack our lives. If we stand up and we say that sleeping around in our culture is not what God wants us to do, you'll have enemies. If we stand up and we say, actually, we shouldn't be throwing away all the food kind of waste that we throw away in our culture, we shouldn't have and be eating more than we really need to, we should actually just try and limit our diet so that we don't overeat and then have to go and spend a whole load more money down the gym trying to work it all off. You'll have enemies. You'll have those that oppose you. If you walk with humility in this world, you'll have those that will be exposed. It'll expose their pride and they won't like it. If you are honest and open in the dealings with other people, what happens is it lays open those that are trying to wheel and deal and cheat and they won't like it. If you speak to others and minister to others with compassion, it reveals to others the callousness of their behaviour. And so on. As we walk with God, as we demonstrate the fruits of God's Spirit in our lives, what it does is it opens up other things. It reveals other things. We're very, very fortunate here that God is blessing us as a church. That this church is growing. We're having new members come in in a couple of weeks' time when we have the United Service. People want to continue to join. But what does that do? That When I go to other meetings with other ministers, they look at Trinity and they ask questions. 
They say, why? Why is our church not growing and that church is? And they come up with a whole raft of incorrect reasons. They say, well, because David's there the whole time and we're not here the whole time because we've got two churches. If only we have one church, then we'd be growing. And I say to them, maybe, but you had one minister, one church, a number of years ago when I first came to this circuit. And look at the way it's declined. It's not just that simple. Well, it's because of this and it's because of that. If we only had that, if we did this and we make up. And what happens is in the same way that our lives do this to others. So this church does this to other churches. That other churches look at Trinidadians and it throws open questions in their own lives, in their own ministry, in their own churches as to why are we not doing the same thing? Why are we not growing in the same way? And there is a degree of antagonism and opposition because of that. And in the same way in our own lives, as we walk with God, it throws open into other people's lives. And they see themselves, perhaps as they really are, and they don't like it. And so there's opposition. So then how do we deal with opposition? How do we deal when we are persecuted? Jesus said, I'm going to bless you if you're persecuted because you're walking in the right way. I'm going to bless you when people insult you, when they persecute you because of him, because of Christ. Rejoice and be glad. But when we find ourselves in those situations, when we find ourselves in a situation where we are being persecuted, where we have opposition against us, what do we do in those moments? Well, turn in your Bible to Acts. Let's look at an example in Acts chapter 16 of Paul. It's a familiar story that you'll all know. But let's look... Acts 16, beginning at verse 16. And let's see how Paul deals with the opposition that he finds himself here in this place. Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And that moment, the Spirit left her. first thing we see is that sometimes when we're faced with opposition, sometimes what we need to do is actually to leave it alone. There are many times in Paul's life where he faced opposition. And the best thing he did was leave. Sometimes, do you remember the time when they lured him in a basket out of the wall? Why? Because he knew that if he stayed there any longer, he would actually cause hardship and trouble for the believers that were there. And sometimes, when we face opposition like this, there's this woman coming around behind him, shouting out all the time. 
It's messing up his ministry. You imagine somebody who was standing there. Pauline's up there on the stage right now, shouting out. Right? While I'm trying to preach. And you can imagine it, can't you? Sorry, Paul, I just... Uh, <laughs> you know, it'd be irritated. In the extreme. And everywhere I went, when I'm sitting in church board meetings, there's Pauline shouting over my shoulder. When I'm having breakfast, there's Pauline shouting over my shoulder. After a while, it kind of, you know... You're thinking, how can I minister? How can I do what Christ is wanting me to do when there's that kind of interference? Even though what she's saying, or what the, late, the, the slave girl was saying, was, was true. It's not the kind of witness that Paul and Silas and others wanted. But sometimes you have to leave it alone. Sometimes you just say, okay, let me just ignore that. But sometimes you need to confront. And you need to pray for that discernment as to the times where you just walk away and the times where you confront. Because it's only in God's time, in God's way, that you'll know the right response to give. Now in Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5, often quoted as a contradiction in the Bible. Do you know Proverbs 26? Verse 4 says this, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. Verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. And people say, well there's contradiction. One minute it's saying do not answer a fool, and the next minute it's saying answer him. How can that be true? The Bible contradicts itself, see? Well, it doesn't, does it? Proverbs are truths. And the reality is that there are times where you should not answer a fool according to his folly. Don't answer, don't get into a conversation with a foolish person because all you do is end up feeding that conversation and getting absolutely nowhere. How many of you have ever been in that situation and after about two minutes, you completely regret asking the question that you asked because you're there for the next 30 minutes trying to think of an escape route. But there are times where somebody is genuinely seeking that you need to answer them. Where actually it opens up a whole new avenue and a way forwards. So there are times where you do not answer and there are times when you should answer and the difficulty of course is knowing when to do which. And so here's Paul, he says, you know, now's not the time, now's not the time. But then I guess he would have said, Lord, what do we do about this woman? Everywhere we go, every time we come out the house, there she is, shouting at us, after us. And I guess finally the Lord said to him, deal with it. And we, it's only through prayer and through listening to the voice of God that we can discern which is which. But we need to make sure, first of all, that we always check our heart and that we do not respond because we want to retaliate, but because we want to just follow what Christ is doing and what Christ has said to us. In Romans 12, it says this in verse 17. 
Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And so we need to judge our hearts first. It's so easy in these situations, isn't it? Just to snap and just to respond because you want to just get out of there or you just want to leave it alone. You want to shut them up. You want to... You want to fight back. It's not fair. And so you, they start attacking you, I'll start attacking them. And so that's when it all kicks off. And that's when the fighting just escalates. We do it out of a heart that is in tune with the Lord. So Paul, he turns around finally and he confronts. And look what happens. It says the moment the Spirit left her. But then look what happens next. Verse 19, back in Acts 16. When the owners of the slave girl realized that the hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. The second thing we need to do is to guard against compromise. Now here it is, is a situation which is purely a financial situation. What had happened is, Paul had cast the demon out of this slave girl, which meant that she was no longer any use because she could then not prophesy and then not fortune tell, and therefore, the money dried up. And so the owners of this slave girl suddenly realised that she couldn't do what they and the income source had gone. So what did they do? They went to Paul and Silas and said, you've just destroyed our source of income. No. They trumped up some kind of racism charge and said, look at these Jews, they're not like us Romans. These Jews are causing all kinds of trouble here. And they whipped up the whole crowd around who didn't really like the Jews anyway and they had them beaten and stuffed in prison. Now Paul, as we'll later read, was a Roman. You could not do that to Roman citizens. That was illegal. He had rights as a Roman citizen. We'll read it further on. And he could have just stood up there and said, hang on a minute guys, I'm Roman, you can't touch me. You touch me, you'll have the whole Roman army on top of you. You cannot beat me, you cannot flog me, you cannot put me in prison because I'm a Roman citizen. You're not allowed to do that. He could have compromised by his identity, he could have compromised by saying, oh wait, 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 wait a minute, you've got to listen to us. This was just a purely an economic thing, we, we've done nothing wrong. Why are you bringing all these accusations against us? All we've done is this, this poor woman had a demon inside of us and we cast her out in the name of Jesus. These guys, it's their fault, it's their problem. Why are you doing this? And they could have used a whole raft of different reasons. But they didn't. You have to guard 
against compromise. Because it's so easy in those moments to start stepping down and coming down to the level of the accusers against you. It's so easy to to stop going the way that Christ wants you to go and start veering off and going on and attacking and, and getting down and having this fight with those people that are fighting against you. Those that are causing you grief and hassle. But Paul and Silas did none of that. They would rather go through the flogging and the beating and the humiliation in the jail and stay true to God than save themselves through compromise. Verse 25, it says, About midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew over and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, What must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And the whole family was filled with joy because they had come to believe in God. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order to release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them and then they left. Third thing we need to do is to love our enemies. Back in Matthew chapter 5, just a little bit further on, in verse 43, he says, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And what we see here with Paul and Silas is a genuine love. Firstly, they focus on God. Here they are in prison, and what do they do? Well, they start singing and worshipping the Lord. It's so hard to do that, isn't it? When you're in trouble, what's the first thing you start thinking about? You start thinking about, I know, let's, have, let's invite the choir over for a hymn sing. You don't do that, do you? We start grumbling and complaining, and oh, this is not fair. Lord, I'm trying to do your work. Why, why opposition? It's not fair. It's not fair. Lord, sort it out. Just, just get rid of them. Get them out of the way. It's not fair. 
the first thing we should be doing is worshipping God. Here they are in the middle of prison, in the innermost dungeon, and they're singing praises to God. I don't suppose the other prisoners have ever heard anything quite like it. Do you? Normally there was moaning and groaning and complaining and whinging and I'm innocent, I shouldn't even be here. And then you've got Paul and Silas singing some upbeat hymns, no doubt. Don't know quite what their hymns were in those days, but and can it be? Things like that. My chains fell off. That's probably came after. But anyway. You know, all these kind of hymns, they'll be singing. Songs, praises. Probably some of the Psalms from the Old Testament. They were focusing on worshipping God. Right in the middle of that situation. They didn't know the outcome. They didn't know what was going to happen next. But they trusted in Him. And so they worshipped Him. And then the second thing that happened is that they showed real love for the jailer over themselves. Now if there was a sudden earthquake and I'd have been there and the chains had fallen off, I'd have done a runner, wouldn't you? I'd have said, thank you Lord for this answer to prayer, fantastic, I'm going down McDonald's and having a burger and then I'm going off somewhere else, you know, I'm out of here. Thank you, you've answered our prayers, you've shown us the way out. But Paul knew that the jailer, his life depended on them still being there. If a, jail, if a prisoner escaped from a jail, then the jailer's life would be taken. And jailers were often ex-Roman soldiers. When you retired from the legion, you went on to manage the local jails. And so he was about to kill himself because he assumed, quite naturally, that all the doors were suddenly flung open and everybody was about to leave. And I don't know quite how Paul and Silas managed to convince all the other jailers, or all the other prisoners rather, to stay. But they must have done. They must have barred the doors or something and said, no, don't worry about it. You stay here. But they did. And they showed genuine love for that jailer more than love for themselves. They focused on God and then they showed in a practical way love. That is so hard to do. You know that? When somebody is harassing you and irritating you and getting you down and being a real thorn in your sight. You know how hard it is to show them practical love? But that's what Christ asked us to do. That's what Paul and Silas did right then. This, this whole situation, they showed practical love. And then they saw what God can do. When you worship him and you show love to those who are persecuting you, the power of God will flow through. And it caused the jailer and his whole family to become believers. Not only that, it caused the whole situation to be diffused. And you had new life in Christ because of the love that they were willing to show. And lastly, what do we do? Well, we pray for those who persecute us, as it says in Matthew 5. 
You know, often it's hurting people that hurt one another. And sometimes we just see the hurt. In fact, most of the time, we see the hurt that they inflict on us. But we don't see the pain they're in themselves. We hurt one another when we feel hurt, don't we? That's the truth of the matter. When my brother used to hurt me, I used to lash out at him. Even though he was always bigger and stronger than I was. But it was only when I felt hurt that I felt the need to hurt him. And when he felt hurt, he felt the need to hurt me. And that's what we do with siblings. And we still do that in different ways. In those days we used to just punch each other. But we do it verbally and through other things, don't we? When we get older. And we need to see past the hurt to the heart of the people that are hurting. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because when I pray for someone who hurts me, God changes my heart first. And he cleanses my heart. You cannot pray positively for someone else and hate them at the same time. You try it. It's impossible. You can say, Lord, I wish you'd beat them up. A bit like the Psalms. David. Lord, I love you, I love you, I love you. I hate these people, so go and beat them up and just get rid of them for me. That would be really nice. Yeah, you can pray like that. But if you really pray for them, if you really want to just say, Lord, they must be hurting. Lord, I don't know what the hurt is, but just... Then your heart will change. The pain within you is dealt with that the blessing of God starts to come upon you. That's why he says, pray for those who persecute you. Because who knows? Maybe you are the vehicle like Paul and Silas were to transform that hurt and that pain in their lives into something beautiful. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted when they walk with God because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven you know we'll probably never face extreme persecution I pray we won't many of our brothers and sisters are right now and we need to constantly pray for them and remember them and uphold them in our prayers and ask God to pour his blessing through them but in our own battles in life Pray for wisdom when you need to walk away and when you need to confront. Guard against any compromise in your life. Stay true to what God is calling you to be and to do. Love. Love those people that are causing the battles. Show practical love to them because it will change you inside. And pray for them. Wang Mindao in China. He wrote this. He spent 23 years in prison. He was sent to prison in 1955 for resistance to the government 
after refusing to join the three self-patriotic movement. And after a few years in prison, he succumbed to intense pressure and his faith wavered. And he signed a confession and was released. And shortly after he was released, he suddenly felt so much regret at his capitulation that he told the authorities that his confession signed under duress didn't express his true feelings. And so in 1958, he was sent back to prison for a 20-year sentence. After spending 23 years in prison in 1989, he was asked, do you have a message for the outside world? And this is what he told them. Tell them to walk the hard road. He said, in my long life I've known all kinds of trials and testings. Psalm 66 really describes all that I've been through. Verse 12 says, we have passed through the waters and through the fire, but you cause us to come to a place of great abundance. I've been through fire and water. The water was deep and the fire blazing, but all these have passed away. Many times in the last 20 years I've come close to death, but each time I have passed safely through. All these things have been entirely to my good. I've suffered many serious illnesses. In 1961 through 62, I was desperately ill, lying flat on my bed for a whole year, spitting blood. I would have said at the time that I was going to live, but God performed a miracle, and after the entire year, he healed me completely. Two years or so after that, I had an x-ray taken, which showed that there were no traces of disease and that the damaged portions of the lungs were completely renewed. After that came many other trials and evils, things that are not easy for tongue to describe. But thanks be to God, he has caused my faith, apart from that one point when I wavered, to stand firm to the end. As a matter of fact, he has strengthened that faith that is firmer now than it was before. From this, I can now understand that God's way of working within the lives of those whom he loves is truly wonderful. The experiences I remember best are those that revealed God's presence, his power, his wisdom and his grace. To summarize it all is to say simply that God has allowed me to go through many trials and adversities, all of them to test and refine me. He has done this so that in the end I might be stronger than ever more pure-hearted, more loyal towards my God. I remember the words of Jesus to his church as recorded in Revelation 2, verse 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye may have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So I encountered 22 years and 10 months of refining and the Lord has not allowed me to suffer any loss at all. Instead, I have received the greatest of blessings. Amen.